All right, good morning, Friendship family. We're bringing the bass today. If you're feeling it in your chest, that's just a reminder that you're alive. Amen? All right, I'm still feeling it. Um, I'm so glad you're here. My name is Andrew. I am a lead pastor here at Friendship. So glad that you have joined us. Uh, as Justin was talking about, we're calling this for us this year, the year of discipleship. Discipleship is all about knowing Christ, growing in Christ, and helping others to know and grow in Christ as well. The primary way that we do that, one of the greatest ways we do it, is through his word. And so uh, we are digging into his word this year. Uh, his word reveals his character. It reveals our need. And uh, so like Justin mentioned a minute ago, we're going through this F260 Bible reading plan. So we're going through the whole story of God, through the whole Bible, but we're not hitting every single verse. We're hitting 260 uh, primary passages that every follower should know. So it's five days a week, about two chapters a day, uh, like Justin invited you to. If you're not with us on that, I invite you to do it. Uh, we've got, again, Bible reading plans over there, or if you go to friendshipwire.com, you can find those. So we're going through this Bible reading plan together. We're also working through this series, a 52-week series, through the Word, uh, because we believe this is so foundational and formational for us in our spiritual life. And so we uh, are, are moving right along in this year. We're almost through a quarter of this year. And uh, I do want to challenge you once again. Uh, to the, the challenge for this year, the year of discipleship. This isn't just about a set of sermon series um, or a Bible reading plan. This is really about growing in your faith. And so my challenge would be to you to grow in your faith, to not be content or satisfied with where you're at. Because no matter how spiritually mature you're at, there's still room to grow. Amen? And we're all needing to grow and take steps in our faith. And I just want to encourage you to do that. My responsibility as a pastor is to uh, week in and week out, week, week in and week out to help feed you and equip you. Um, and so, you know, I'm kind of a, a scripture chef, as it were. Like I'm trying to, to dial up a meal for you every week and serve you so you can dig in and eat. Um, and I've been really encouraged by some of the different stories I've heard uh, so far this year of folks who are jumping into the Bible reading plan, um, who are engaging with us, some who are trying to do the HEAR journal, um, which again is in the Bible reading plan as well. So I've been hearing really cool things, people who are trying things they've never done before to grow. Um, I've heard of folks who are uh, buying the the Gospel Transformation Bible that I've recommended, even though I'm not getting any kickbacks on that. Um, I'm just encouraged because, uh, you know, my, one of my jobs is to help equip you. Um, and so it's been awesome to hear some of the feedback of our folks who are digging in and growing. And so that's my responsibility to feed you, to equip you. Your job, really all of our jobs, is to, is to eat and to dig into the Word and, and to learn to feed ourselves and grow. And so, you know... Um, one of the ways that we grow physically, we've got to learn to eat and to feed ourselves. So early on, you know, there's a lot of spoon feeding that takes place. You know, we celebrated Wynn's one year birthday yesterday and, you know, he's starting to eat with his hands and plates, like, ah, you know, all this stuff. And he's learning to feed himself. Um, but there's going to come a point where he's going to start using utensils and start feeding himself. And that's important in growing up. And spiritually, uh, it's the same thing. We've got to learn to feed ourselves. Because even if I was the greatest preacher known to mankind, and I promise you I'm not. You'll see that this morning. Uh, even if I was, what I serve up to you week in and week out is not enough to sustain you from Sunday to Sunday. 
you got to start learning to, to feed yourself. And hopefully many of you are there. And you know, that's what I love about this here journal that we talk about. It's not like, hey, read two chapters a day and then like dissect two chapters. It's take one verse that God's speaking to you about and like take that one morsel uh, and just begin to feed on it and chew on it and let it help you grow. Um, so your responsibility to eat, learn to feed yourself, grow. And, and so this whole series, it all kind of fits together. I've just been really encouraged in this series. Today we're starting in the series number three of eight. Uh, so we've been through series number one in the beginning. And then we moved into series number two, Promised Land. And then today we start a third series called Against All Odds, which will last for, for six weeks. And some of you are like, Phil Collins, yeah, that's a good song if any of you... Okay, I know who's in my age bracket by the chuckles there. All right, thank you. Amen. Um, so against all odds, this, this series. So what we saw in the first couple series is God's people, they're in Egypt. God delivers them out, but he wants to bring them into this promised land. And what was, what was intended to be or what was in reality an 11-day journey out of bondage in Egypt into this promised land, Canaan, ended up taking the people 40 years. And some of you wise are like, that sounds like my husband without GPS and no directions, like just wandering around forever. That was the people of God. And we ended, so we've worked through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, at the end of Deuteronomy, we find the people of God are at the, like the brink of entering into the promised land. And, and there's a, a transition where God transitions leadership from Moses to Joshua and God in essence says hey this land I've promised it to you it's yours it belongs to you now I want you to go in and take possession of it you're, you're going to have to do battle there's people that are already occupying the land you're going to have to fight some battles it's going to be hard work there are bigger challenges ahead of you but there are bigger blessings and I promise you there's victory because I've this, I promised you this land. It is yours. Now, go in and take possession. And so the reason this series is called Against All Odds is because all of the odds are stacked against God's people to go in and take possession. And yet God has said, it's yours. And so as we move into this next section of scripture, we start in the book of Joshua. And as we saw, you saw uh, Joshua 1, 8 and 9, the scripture memory verse. We see that in the beginning of Joshua, God commissions Joshua to take leadership. So Joshua or Josh takes over. And you saw that, you saw the scripture that said, hey, this book of the law, the word of God, this is going to guide you. So meditate on it. Don't let go of it. If you follow this, you're going to be successful and you're going to prosper. And so meditate on it. Use this book and don't be afraid because I'm with you. Now go take possession and so this is where we find ourselves in the, the beginning of the book of, of Joshua. And so today we see in Joshua 3 and 4, um, we see this important episode in Israel's history begins to unfold. And so this morning's sermon is called Building Pillars to Remember. So Joshua 4, 1 to 10, we're going to kind of read it as we go this morning. There's really three big lessons in this important episode in Israel's history that I just want to call out for us to learn from this morning. And here's the first one. The very first one is this. When God calls you to move, you can walk confidently in faith. When God calls you to move, you can walk confidently in faith. So remember, 
They're at the edge of the promised land. They're going to go in. God has called them to move in and take possession. And so I want to read just these first three verses of Joshua chapter 4. Here's what it says. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, okay, so they had to pass over the Jordan River to make their way into the promised land. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. And so what's, what's, what exactly is, is going on here? I, I want us to, to back up into chapter 3 just for a little bit of context Uh, We're going to just read through verses 10 through 13. Here's what's going on before they step into the Jordan. It says this, uh, verse number 10. Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you. These are all the inhabitants of the land they're going to go into. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, all the sites, they're He's going to drive them out of there, right? Verse number 11. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. The ark of the covenant represented the presence of God. The presence of God, the ark, is going to go before you. Verse number 12. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet, pay attention here, when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of All the earth, when their feet shall rest, the soles of their feet shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Now, does this sound familiar at all to you? We've heard a similar kind of story in Israel's journeys when they came out of Egypt before they could get away, before they could escape the pursuing armies of Egypt, they were stuck not between a rock and a hard place, but between the armies of Egypt and a large body of water. Y'all remember what it was called? The Red Sea, right? And what did God do to deliver them from their enemy? He parted the Red Sea, right? And they got to walk through on dry ground. Sounds like the same thing going on here. So let, let me just compare for a moment The Red Sea versus the Jordan River. A lot of similarities here. Both are miraculous. It's not every day that you walk out and see a body of water like stand up on end and allow you to walk through on dry ground. So both of these are miraculous works of God. Both involved uh, God's deliverance. And so one of them, the Red Sea, it involved God delivering his people out of bondage to slavery, out of sure destruction from their enemy Egypt, delivering them out of that And we come to the Jordan River and it was God delivering his people, not out of something, but into something, into this promised land that he had given them. So both involved God's deliverance. Both validated God's leader. So Mo, on the one hand, Moses, he was pretty new to leading this nation of Israel and and, and God empowered him. He was able to raise his staff and stretch out his hand and then all the waters rose up. And so God through this was like, this is my boy. This is my man. This is my leader. I am with him. You follow him. He is my representative. So God validated. Joshua chapter three, God says to Joshua, he says, I'm going to through this act, I am going to show that just as I was with Moses, so I will be with 
you. And so he validates his man. He validates his leader. So both do that. Both also prove God's presence and God's power. So as, as the nation of Israel looked on, as the watching world witnessed, this was proof that God was with them that God was going before them, that God was fighting their battles. And so both of these occasions proved God's power and his presence. But there's one major difference. And I don't know if you caught this because this is kind of a subtle difference between the Red Sea and the Jordan River experience. In one case with the Red Sea, God made a way. He parted the waters and he said, walk through by faith. You can walk through this. Parted made a way, said walk through. The, Red, or the Jordan River, on the other hand, God said, I want the priests who are bearing the Ark of the Covenant, my presence, I want them to do something. What did he tell them to do? Did you catch it? He said, I want you to step in. And as soon as the soles of your feet stand firmly on dry ground, then I'm going to part the waters. So you see that in one case he says, he parts the water, says, walk in. The other, the other case, he says, step in. And as soon as your feet are on, on, on the ground, then I will part the waters. What is this, what is this all about? Well, if, if you think about this, the, the Red Sea, it represents salvation. And the Jordan represents the abundant life. So think about it this way. that ha- Having a relationship with God, having our sins forgiven being delivered from the bondage of our sin. Just like the Red Sea, God says, you don't initiate that. You don't do any work. I'm going to provide a way. You just step into it. And so just like for us in salvation, we don't have to clean ourselves up in order to come to God. God has already done all the work that needs to be done. And we just step into it. And and, and y'all, you need to know this, that this is what separates Christianity from every other world religion. Every other world religion says in order to experience salvation or heaven or enlightenment or whatever you want to call it, you have to do something. Do this, do this, do some righteous things, do some kind of activity. Christianity, on the other hand, says it's not about what you do, it's about what Christ has done. And you just receive, that's why it's the gospel of grace because we don't do anything to part the waters. We just step in. God has made a way. In fact, Jesus himself has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so that is the Red Sea. Our way out is, is through what God has done. But then we have this, this Jordan River, which represents this, this passageway into a, abundant life, full life. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I've come to give you life, life to the full. And so if we're going to experience the life that God has created for us, he says it's all there, it's available, it's yours, it's going to require some work, it's going to require some doing battle in your life, but it is yours. All you need to do, all we need to do is step in by faith and follow him. He's, he's, he's got it all available to us. And he says, you got to step in. You got to want it. You got to go after it. As soon as you step in, man, I'm going to make a way for you because I've given you this life. And some of us, listen, as Christians, we go, okay, I, I've, I've gotten the God out of, get out of hell card. 
I've already done that. I've prayed that prayer. I've done that thing. But we're just living this, this life that isn't full. It's not what God has intended for us. And here's the deal. Just like the children of Israel, he says, hey, I've done everything. I've provided the full life that I want you to experience. But you got to take a step. You got to step towards it. You got to step into it. It is yours. I've promised it to you. Now take it. And that's what this whole series is all about. And so this is why we talk about this, this term, next step. Uh, I use, we use this all, all the time here, and we have an area that's all about next steps because if we're going to grow, it involves us taking steps. And, and sometimes it's two steps forward, three steps back. Sometimes it's a leap forward. Sometimes it's a fall back, but it's this, this process of taking steps. And I want to read for you 2 Peter 1, 3 to 8, where this is what it's all about is adding to our faith. Second Peter 1, 3, it says, His divine power, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, we have everything that we need to live life and experience full life and to be godly. He's given us his word and his spirit and the family of God. Everything we need, he's given us through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, through his word, through his promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. You can be holy. You can be righteous having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, don't miss this phrase, make every effort to supplement your faith. You know what that means? To supplement your faith, it means to add to your faith, to keep growing, to keep going forward. Make every effort, do everything within you, within your power to supplement your faith with virtue, Virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. Keep growing and going after these qualities. For, verse number eight, for if these qualities are yours and are what? Increasing. If they're increasing in you, if you're growing in these things, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he says, Man, he, I've given you everything that you need for a full, godly life. Now, make every effort. Go after it. To go after it. Add to your faith. Supplement your faith. Because if you do, if you continue to grow, man, I'll make you fruitful. I'll make you full. And so when God calls you to move, you can walk confidently in faith. And, and so let me just ask you a question this morning, just to apply this to us. What is your next step? What is your next step? I've heard some really cool stories, again, of people who are taking steps this year, who don't regularly engage with the Bible. And their next step has been, I'm, I'm going to try to read. Uh, I'm going to try to read five days a week. Maybe you do one day. Maybe you do two days. Maybe you do five days. But taking a step so I can grow in my faith. Some people trying to journal for the first time and loving it. And it's encouraging and growing them. Maybe your next step is to do one of those things, just to start reading the Bible Maybe for you it's to connect in a group. We've got men's groups, women's groups, uh, 55 plus, young adults, places where you can connect with people and try to dig into the word and community. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is to join a serving team where you're not just 
soaking in, but you're pouring out. Join a serving team. Maybe that's the thing for you. Maybe it's to follow the Lord and being baptized. Maybe it's becoming a partner and joining this church and saying, I'm all in. Maybe it's as simple as just talking to somebody. You have questions about God. You don't understand it all. And so maybe just talking with somebody. Maybe for you, the step is to just put your faith in Jesus. And that's the biggest step. Maybe that's what you need to consider. So what is your next step? Are you moving in faith? Because when God calls you to move, you can walk confidently in faith. Amen? So that's number one. Number two is this. Second lesson is that the people of God must remember the works of God. The people of God must remember the works of God. So going back to chapter four, I just want to read the next few verses here. Verses four to ten. It says this, And Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And there they are to this day. For the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people passed over in haste. And so here's the deal. The whole nation passes through the Jordan River. God tells them, hey, I want you to take a man from each tribe, 12 men, go back into the river, pick up 12 stones. And I want you to pile these together. And what we see is, is they took 12 stones that they were going to pile up when they camped at, at their encampment. Joshua went in and set up another 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan. And these things that said in verse 7 were to be a memorial forever to the people. In other words, well, it's a memorial for so you remember something, right? And, and so the point of all of this is that God was saying to his people, listen now, I want you to remember what I've done for you. I want you to remember and never forget what I have done for you. So let me ask you a question. Any of you all have trouble remembering important things? Anybody? Anybody want to confess it? I know more than that. Um, we are forgetful people. One of the ways that, that I try to remedy that in my life is I try to write stuff down. Actually, on my phone is my friend. I try to mark stuff down. So I use my calendar app a lot, right? I set appointments and reminders of things. Uh, I have a to-do list that I use often because if it's in my brain, chances are it's going to be out of my brain soon, so I better mark it down somewhere so I don't forget, right? Anybody else do that kind of stuff? Okay. 
And, and this is what God was saying. He was saying, I don't want you to forget what I have done for you because you're a forgetful people. And so I want you to do something physical. I want you to do something tangible to remind you of what I have done. I don't want you to ever, ever forget. And so I want you to mark this day. I want you to mark this event so that you'll never forget it. Because building memorials to God builds our faith in God. Building memorials to God builds our faith in God. And I'm not talking about like, hey, go home and set up a statue. Okay, we're kind of creeping in on that no graven images or idols. or like. But memorials, what are things that can remind you of God's work in your life? What he has done. And I, talk, I use this phrase a lot. Like God's track record of faithfulness in your life. This is a way to trace his track record of, of goodness and faithfulness in your life. There's this phrase, I don't know who to credit it to because it's just kind of floating out there. You've probably heard it. The best indicator of future behavior is past behavior. So you want to know how someone's going to behave in the future? The, the best indicator of that is like, well, how have they behaved previously, right? And I think the same is true with God. He wants us to remember what he has done so that we can go, okay, he is the same yesterday and today and forever. This is who he was. This is who he is. This is who he will be because this is who he's always been to his people of old and to, to me in my life. So I'm going to date myself with this reference here, but um, any of you all remember an old Saturday Night Live skit, the Chris Farley show? Anybody remember this? Okay, a handful of you. Go home and YouTube it. It's fun. Um, so Chris Farley plays himself. He plays like this nerdy, nervous fanboy all right, that, that happens to have a show. And so he brings on like movie stars and star athletes and they sits down with them. And, you know, I remember he did this with like Michael Jordan and Jeff Daniels here. And so he'll sit down and he'll just like start nervously talking with them. And he'll say, hey, do you remember that one time when you said this? Or do you remember this one time when you did that? And the person will say, yeah, I remember that. I said it, I was there. And he'll go, that was so awesome. <laughs> and he'll get all nervous and then he'll like, like, idiot, why did you say that? I'm such an idiot. Um, but he does this over and over. Like, do you remember that one time? Oh, that was awesome. And I, so just a window into my weird warped mind. Chris Farley comes up when I'm studying the Bible. Whatever. Um, but this idea that like, God wants us to be these like nervous, nerdy fanboys when we go, man, God, you remember that one time? Like when you made the water stand up on end and we like walked through it? And God is like, yeah, I was there. I told you to do that. And we're like, God, that was so awesome. That was so cool. Can you do that again? And God wants us to set up memorials, reminders. The people of God must remember the works of God. And you know what the victory, the, the victory that we celebrate now is? The deliverance that we celebrate, that we remember now, it's the gospel. It's the work of Jesus that through his death and his burial and his resurrection, he has given us forgiveness of sins and freedom to walk in Christ. And, and there's several modern day memorials that we, we set up as a church to help us remember what he has done. As a church, on the first Sunday of every month, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. 
which is meant to be a memorial. Jesus said, hey, this bread, every time you eat it, and that cup, every time you drink it, drink it as often as you do it. Do it how? In remembrance of me. Why? Because I don't want you to ever forget what I've done for you. I want you to remember that I've delivered you, that I've set you free. And so the Lord's Supper is a modern, modern day memorial. A more, a more general example of a modern day memorial that we set up as a church is, is this. Y'all, every single week, our weekly worship gathering, we don't just come to an event to hear some guy talk and try to be funny and reference Chris Farley and like sing some songs. Like, no, when we come together as the people of God every week, you know what we're doing? We're stacking stones. We're reminding ourselves and one another through the things that we say and we sing and we recite and we hear and we respond to. We're stacking up stones. We're reminding ourselves of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Amen. Down through the ages and in our lives today. And in just a few minutes, we're going to sing a song about the goodness of God. I, I never get tired of this song. We're going to sing that all of my life, You've been faithful. In all of my life, you have been so, so good. And boy, do we miss the boat if all we do is come in here and sing some words on a screen. And if our heart isn't captivated and moved that when we sing, God, all of my life, you've been faithful. You've been so, so good that, that our, our memories and our minds and our hearts aren't flooded with all of the goodness of God that we could trace all throughout our lives. Amen. We stack stones every time that we come together, y'all. And so the question this morning is this, what has God done in your life? What is God doing in your life? What kind of memorials have you set up? What kind of memorials do you need to set up? Maybe for you, it's as simple as, man, I want to try to get to, get to church, to be with the people of God as often as I can. Because I need to be reminded, I forget how good God is. So I need to put myself in that place. I don't know what your, what your memorial might be. Uh, for me, one of the marks, and I'm not prescribing this for everyone, and I'm just throwing this out there, is, is I have a tattoo on my forearm. It's my only tattoo. I'm, I'm kind of neutral when it comes to tattoos. I'm not for or against. But this for me is a crown, and it's, it's a mark to remind me and how easily I forget because I look at it all the time. And yet for me, it's a reminder of the goodness of God, that he is my king and I follow him. I trust him because he's always been good and he's always been powerful in my life. Now y'all don't go out and like get all tatted up or do it if you want. I'm not telling you to do that, but how has God worked in your life? What is he doing and how can you set up memorials to mark that activity. The people of God must remember the work, the works of God. Okay, third thing. The next generation, third and final thing. The next generation must know the power of God. The next generation must know the power of God. And we saw it in this passage where it talks about, hey, set up these stones so that in time to come, your children are going to ask you, hey, what do these stones mean to you? And 
I want to see kind of the end of chapter 4, verses 19 through 24. Kind of reiterates this in, in the end of this chapter. It says this, The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gil, uh, Gilgal at the, on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. Now, Gilgal is an important place as we move through this whole series because that ends up being kind of their base of operations as they go in and conquer the promised land and take possession. So they set up these stones in Gilgal. And in verse 21, and he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. And so he says, man, set up these stones so that in future generations, when your children and your children's ch children come along and they see this pile of stones and they go, hey, dad, what's up with these stones? What's up with this pile? What is this all about? You have the opportunity to tell them the story of God. You get the opportunity to brag about God's powerful hand at work. And you get to tell the story. And, you know, last week we were in Deuteronomy chapter 6, this passage that's known as the Shema. And, you know, it talks about teaching your children God's words and instructing them diligently. And, and we could go throughout the scriptures and see uh, very plainly that there, there's this need that we have to disciple the next generation. And, and we often think about parents. This is the parent's responsibility. You are to raise your kids. You're to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You're to train them in the ways of God. And that's very true. It is the responsibility of parents to do that. But I want to read a couple of scriptures that talk about not just parents, but the people of God as a whole. And so two passages here, both in Psalms. Uh, I've got to mark down Proverbs. That is a typo. Someone graciously, or at least loudly, reminded me in the first service in the middle of the sermon that I had screwed up. All right, I am not the perfect preacher. Two passages in the book of Psalms, Psalm 78, 4 to 8, says this, starting in verse number 4. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. You know where that, that, that law comes from? Deuteronomy 6, we saw it last week. He's instructed, commanded fathers to teach their children. Verse 6, why? So that the, the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The psalmist says, we're not going to hide the works of God. We're going to tell them to the next generation, the, the coming generation. We have an obligation not to hide them, but to tell them. Why? So that they would set their hope 
in God so that they would know his commands. They would keep his commandments so that they wouldn't be like their stubborn forefathers. Uh, Psalm 145 verses 3 and 4 David here in the song of praise, he says, great is the Lord. He's declaring how good and great the Lord is. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. Verse four, so one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Here's what he says is that one generation that has experienced the goodness and the power, the, the works of God, they're gonna, they have a responsibility to declare to the next generation the goodness of God, the power of God. It's not just up to mom and dad. It's up to the people of God to tell the next generation. And some of you are like, you know, we're empty nesters. We're done with that. Or maybe you're like, oh, we don't have kids. There's a reason we don't have children. All right, whatever you're, like, listen, every single one of us, we have the responsibility as the people of God to pass on the stories of the works of God. Amen? You've heard the phrase when it comes to parenting that it takes a what? It takes a village, right? It takes a community. It takes the people of God to raise sons and daughters who will follow and honor and obey God. That is why the family of God is so important that we need one another and we are responsible to help the next generation know the God that we love. Amen? And so one of the ways we disciple the next generation, we tell them stories. We tell them the stories of God's work we need to be better, better storytellers about the work God has done through the ages, the work that he is doing and has done in our lives. And we set up memorials. We set up these things, these pillars, so that kids, we get, have an opportunity to tell them about our God. So here's the question this morning. How are you helping disciple the next generation? We have folks that serve in our kids' ministry and our youth ministry. But what, how are you helping and maybe that's for you. Maybe, it's a, maybe you're like, I don't do well with kids. Listen, we don't want you serving in kids' ministry if that's not your gift. Amen? All the parents are like, amen. But are you praying for our kids? Are you praying for our youth? Are you praying for those who lead our kids' ministry? Those who volunteer, volunteer their time to hang out with your kids that you don't want to hang? I'm just kidding that are investing, amen, uh, that are investing in your kids? Are you praying for them? Are you just saying, hey, the people who serve in there, the people who are paid to do that, that is their job. No, listen, y'all, every single one of us, from the young to the old, there's a generation that's coming after you that you are responsible to help disciple and pass on the faith to the next generation must know the power of God. And one of my passions as we're moving into this year is that the year of discipleship, it's not just about us growing in our faith and um, us growing in the word, but it's us helping the next generation to know God and to grow in Christ. And so we're going to continue to talk about our kids' ministry and our youth ministry and call people that God is calling to serve in there, to pray for those areas, to come alongside parents, to help 
invest in the next generation. And one of the things that I'm really excited for, and I, I don't know if this is, uh, like if the church experts would advise me to, to like say this or not, but one of the things we're gonna do is um, we're gonna, we wanna renovate this whole wing of our church that serves our, our elementary kids and our youth. And it's all about the next generation. And so I'm gonna ask us to invest in it not just with blood, sweat, and tears, although I'm going to ask you to do that, but with our dollars and our wallets, our pocketbooks, that if we believe it's our responsibility to invest in the next generation and to disciple them, we're going to put our money where our mouth is. And I'm going to do that without apology because we're called to do this, y'all. The next generation must know the power of God, and they're not going to know unless we pass it on to them. Amen. And so we're going to be a church that loves the next generation because that's what we're called to. So three things, three lessons that we get from Joshua 4. One is that when he calls us to move, we can walk confidently in faith. We can step out in faith. What is your next step? We must remember the works of God. We as the people of God must remember. And so So how are you remembering? What is God doing in your life? Don't forget. Don't forget, but remember the things that he has done and is doing. And thirdly, we must help the next generation to know the power of God, which involves us knowing the power of God personally and then us passing it on. We have such a good God. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with us. We're going to sing about the goodness of this God that we had who has opened the Red Sea for us and made a way of salvation. He's made a way for us to experience fullness of life if we would step out in faith into the Jordan. And so God, this morning, thank you for who you are, all that you have done. Thank you for even in this time together, the reminders, the stones that we're stacking today to remind ourselves and one another goodness and the greatness of our God. This is so much more than hearing words preached or singing words on a screen. This is about us worshiping you in spirit and in truth. So God, would you stir our hearts to worship you because of who you are and what you have done. And Lord, would you help us to be a church that pours out our lives into the next generation. We have a responsibility and a a blessed privilege to do that. Thank you to those who have gone before us, who have made a way for us. God, help us to be a way for the next generation. Thank you for your goodness. We worship you today in Jesus' name.